Thank you, Dan. Uh, it's nice to know I've got at least two fans in the room, my wife and Dan. It's great. Thank you. Um, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Just seeing where everybody is. Uh, my name is Dave Wiley. I'm not really that old. Um, I'm part of the community here at Redeemer Central, uh, and I'm one of the senior leaders, along with uh, Dave Armstrong, Ryan, Steph, Jills, Dan, uh, and Matt. And my Dakaris, uh, who's in the room here as well. Um, where is Dakaris? Just so know. Yeah, there you are. Hello. Uh, and we live in Belfast here. I, I'm a social worker. I work for the local Belfast Trust, and I work in cancer services. Uh, and I've been around Redeemer uh, for about nine years uh, now. So during the week, um, I was remembering one of the last times I was standing up here and talking. It was back in January, uh, along with the rest of the senior leaders. And we were talking about our hopes for the year ahead, uh, personal hopes and also hopes for the church. So just in case you've forgotten, these were my uh, uh, personal goals for 2018. They were to run more park runs than I missed. They were to, I initially started by saying I'd run all park runs, which was a nonsense. Uh, I said I would have a better diet during the course of the year, and I said that I, I was going to read the whole Bible over the course of the year. So, scores in the doors, you'll want to know. Uh, as of today, I have run five park runs, uh, the last of which was in March. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you for the ship of the Hague Floyds. Uh, I'm about a stone heavier than I was this time last year. Uh, this, this shirt is, is hiding a multitude of sins. Um, but I'm getting through my Bible app uh, pretty well, actually. Uh, I'm probably about three weeks behind of where I should be. But I've also realized this week that uh, I've set myself a bigger task than I thought. The plan that I'm using means that I read the Old Testament once and the New Testament and the Psalms twice. Uh, so I've given myself a, a bit of extra reading to do. Um, so this gives you uh, probably a little bit of uh, insight into the inconsistencies of me completing my goals. Uh, I've been able to maintain some sort of rhythm with my Bible reading. Uh, and I found actually some resources that have been really helpful in that. I thought I'd share them, share them with you this morning. Uh, hopefully maybe they're helpful for you too. They're a mixture of like, reading plans and podcasts and short films that you watch. Um, they've helped to give me a, a greater understanding of who God is, uh, about his character, about his ways, and about the, the overarching story uh, that we have uh, in the Bible. I found it, personally found it very helpful that as I walk back and forth to work, I get to listen uh, to some of these things. So here we are. If you look at the, the slide behind me, you, you may well have heard of, of these, you may not. Uh, so the first one there is this cultural moment. It's a podcast. It's, it's a guy called John Mark Comer, who's a church leader in Portland and Oregon. Uh, and he's in conversation with another guy called Mark Sayers, who's a church leader in Melbourne, Australia. And they're looking at what it is to be a follower in a post-Christian age. If you don't know what that is, listen to the podcast. They explain it really well. Uh, I found them to be really uh, insightful. Uh, the two guys are sort of chatting back and forth, and they're joined by a few guests. And it's like what it is to be a Christian in a changing cultural landscape. Next one then is Exploring My Strange Bible. Uh, it's another, another podcast. So this is the, a collection of, of teaching and preaching from a guy called Tim Mackey. Again, he's based in Portland in Oregon. Uh, he's a theologian, he's a lecturer, he's a pastor, and he's one of the guys behind the Bible Project. Um, 
He's a self-confessed like Bible and language and history nerd, uh, but his communication style is really accessible. Uh, he's a super Bible teacher, uh, and he, he's brought me to a place of worship through his teaching. Next one then is the, the Bible Project. So these are short animated films on books of the Bible and themes uh, that we find in the Bible, such as holiness, sacrifice, Holy Spirit. I find them really helpful to watch, to get an overview of the book that I'm reading uh, or listening to. And then finally then, the, the, the Read Scripture app. So it's, it's linked to the Bible Project uh, and uses the short animated films embedded in the reading plan. So you can read the whole Bible over the course of the year and then you watch the films about each book or the specific themes. Really, really helpful stuff. So uh, I was thinking about what I was going to talk about today uh, and I kept coming back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Friends of ours had used some of the verses from it as part of their marriage ceremony recently and I was officiating. And uh, preparing for that service, I found myself being drawn in by the story of the book. I wanted to do some further reading around it and listen to some stuff as well. Karis thinks that the, 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 the melancholy of the book matches my own uh, and <laughs> reminded, me, uh, reminded me of the night that she came back from a work night out uh, to find me listening to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. on my own in the living room. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> As we talked about it more, she said, to you, Ecclesiastes rambles. It's a bit repetitive. I can see how it suits you. <laughs> but it doesn't give you license to ramble and repeat yourself when you get up there. Um, so I, I, I hope and I, I, I'm going to try not to do that. So this talk, this talk's a one-off. It's not part of a series. It's kind of what we've been doing over the course of the summer here. I've learned, I've learned some important lessons uh, from Ecclesiastes, and I want to share some of these with you this morning. Hopefully, uh, it'll be of benefit uh, and encouragement to you. So the Presbyterian in me wants to offer you three consents, concise points, uh, each beginning with the same letter, uh, but I don't have those, uh, so I've settled for three sections. We've got an introduction uh, to Ecclesiastes, then we're going to do a brief overview of what it tells us, and then we're going to look at some of the application uh, of Ecclesiastes. So firstly, uh, by way of introduction, uh, Ecclesiastes is one of, those, one of the three wisdom books uh, in the Bible. It sits alongside Proverbs and Job. Uh, each of these books gives a slightly different perspective on how we are to live wisely uh, in the world. In Ecclesiastes, there are two main characters. So we have the writer, and then we have the, the teacher, or sometimes the, referred to as the preacher. Uh, so the ESV uh, calls him the preacher. I'll refer to him as the teacher, as I'm reading this morning from the, the NIV. The writer is the author of Ecclesiastes, uh, but we're not given his name. And so you can think of him as like the editor of the book. He documents what the teacher says, which is about 99% of what we read. And then he gives a little bit of introduction at the start, and then he gives uh, some insight at the end. So the teacher, or Hebrew word koheleth, see there, uh, means the one who speaks at gatherings. He's a teacher, he's a preacher. He is considered by some to be King Solomon. Uh, he was a king of Israel with unparalleled wisdom. 
Others think and others conclude that the teacher is, is like a Solomon-like character. Uh, his specific identity is not really crucial to the message of the book, but what is important to know is that the teacher is someone who is wise and his words are trustworthy. So Ecclesiastes is, is very different from other books in the Bible as well. Uh, uh, other books explicitly reveal the character of God. So they talk about his love, they talk about his grace, they talk about his mercy. Interestingly, we do not directly hear from God in Ecclesiastes. God is silent throughout the book. The teacher thinks of God as being distant and playing little part in life on earth. In understanding Ecclesiastes, it helps us to look at the recurring phrase, life under the sun, which is repeated about 30 times. Life under the sun refers to life on earth, but without God. It means life without accounting for a supernatural God. Ecclesiastes seeks to answer one of life's great questions. Where do we find meaning? We might say it uh, is a worldly way of looking at the question, is there meaning in life without God? So that's the background, that's the introduction. We're now equipped with that. So let's get into what the teacher is saying. Uh, we're going to read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 9. Now the Bibles you have in front of you are the ESV, and we're going to read from the NIV. Okay. Words should appear on the screen behind me. So chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Pretty bleak reading, isn't it? <laughs> the second point then is as we look at a, an overview of Ecclesiastes. So the book records the teacher's pursuit of all that life has to offer under the sun. And remember, life under the sun is life on earth without God. This guy is, is really gonna go for it. He's indulging all his passions. The teacher is like someone with endless amounts of cash, he's got loads of energy, he's got loads of time on his hands, he's got no commitments, and he's going after all that life has to offer. 
As we move into chapter two, we read about the pursuits that he, that he goes after. He's educated and wiser than those that are around him. He's involved in, in creating great agricultural and uh, architectural projects. He amasses great wealth. The teacher doesn't have to do anything for himself. He has servants waiting on him hand and foot. He's hanging out with all the, the musicians of the day who are there to entertain him. And he has no problem in finding any female company. In worldly terms, the teacher appears to be living his best life. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag treat yourself. Um, the teacher has been doing his own great life experiment, searching for meaning in work, in daily life, in, in hedonistic pursuits, but all without God. Unfulfilled and bored in the end, the teacher looks back at his life and makes the disheartening conclusion. It's all meaningless. In chapters 3 to 12, he takes stock, and this is what he concludes. We don't gain anything from working day in and day out. Why bother? We came from dust, and we're going to return to dust. The best we can do with our life is to have a good time. Enjoy everyday things, like eating good food, drinking wine, and if you find a spouse, celebrate that. He says celebrity is superficial and short-lived. He concludes that life is random. Good people do well, but they may also suffer. Bad people may get justice, but they may also prosper. Corruption has always been rife in systems and government. And we don't know how long we have on this earth, so just get on with living. Is this reminiscent of the Bohemian Rhapsody? Nothing really matters. Now, I'm not saying that the teacher is incorrect. His observations are, in one sense, spot on. Life and work can be repetitive, can be mundane. I've got to go do my work. I've got to go pay my bills. Someday, I'm going to die. Sharing food and wine with friends is great. We all know that celebrity is superficial. And we all know that life is unpredictable. Corruption does exist. The issue is, is that the teacher tried to control his life, thinking that this would give him meaning. When he finds that so many things are outside of his control, and that he can't stop pain or injustice or corruption, all sense of meaning in life goes out of the window too. He therefore returns to the same conclusion throughout Ecclesiastes, as he said at the beginning, life is meaningless. Uh, when my brother-in-law, Andrew, who is sitting here in front of me, heard that I was speaking uh, on Ecclesiastes, he said, he said to Cars, that'll be a barrel of laughs. Like, I know this is, is heavy stuff, but I promise it's going somewhere good and it's going somewhere hopeful. So stick with me. So if we just skim read through the book of Ecclesiastes, we can make, oh, we need this. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I can take that off. If we just skim read through the book of Ecclesiastes, we can make the same conclusions 
the teacher. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Thankfully, there's more to Ecclesiastes than this. To better understand what the writer is saying uh, to us, let's look at this word, meaningless. In the NIV, it's meaningless, and, but for the ESV, maybe what you're reading in front of you, it says vanity. Uh, and this phrase, meaningless or vanity, is repeated over 40 times throughout the book. In English, we associate the word vanity with self-obsession. But like many words in ancient languages, their original meaning can often be lost when translated into another language. So we have vanity, but then there's the NIV translation, the word it uses, meaningless. And it's it's slightly better. Um, Though we might assume by the repetition of the word that the teacher is saying that everything in life is meaningless. But that is not actually his point. When we read the book of Ecclesiastes through, the teacher concludes that we can actually find meaning in everyday things of life. From the simple things that we do, like eat and drink and meet with friends, to the work that we do with our hands, all of it has meaning and should bring us some level of enjoyment from what we do. I think this is a really important lesson for us. We find joy in everyday life. For me, at the moment... Uh, I'm really enjoying finding out how to do things as we're renovating a house. So with the help of YouTube uh, and a few friends, I'm learning how to build brick walls, uh, putting up fences, and putting up things like plasterboard. And I love it. Uh, It it gives me genuine enjoyment and satisfaction. I know, I'm pretty cool. You're thinking to yourself, this guy sits alone and listens to REM and puts up plasterboard. (laughs) Thinking, yeah, Karis is a lucky girl, yeah. <laughs> but think about it for yourself. Where, where can you find those everyday pockets of joy in whatever you're doing, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whatever you're doing, where do you find those pockets of joy? That's important. That's really important. So we were talking about the teacher's use of the word meaningless or vanity. In Hebrew, this word is hefel. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's used as a metaphor and literally means smoke or vapor. To, to help us understand what the teacher means when he says hefel, hefel, everything in life under the sun is hefel. I'm going to use this candle. So I want you to watch just as I blow it out. And hopefully, you'll see the smoke that ascends uh, from the wick up into the air. So there are two main ways that we can understand the use of the word heffel in Ecclesiastes, by thinking about the smoke from the candle. Firstly, we're able to see it. Everybody was able to see there that the smoke that came as they blew out the candle. We're able to see it, but then it's gone. It's no longer there. Life, too, can be seen as temporary or fleeting in nature. The teacher talks about us having 70 or so years here on earth. I'm going to have to use this other candle now. 
Again, you'll see the smoke. And I'm trying to grab for it, but can't. So when I reach to grab hold of the smoke, I can't. It's there, we all see it, but I can't hold on to it. It's real, but yet it's beyond the control that I want to put around it when I grasp for it. Life too can be unpredictable and elusive, a sense of feeling outside of our control. This analogy helps to give us a deeper and a richer understanding of what the writer is trying to convey about the meaning of life in Ecclesiastes. He is saying that life, like vapor, like smoke, is short or fleeting. It's here and then it's gone. Compared to eternity, of course, our lives on earth are short. But more importantly, life, like life, the smoke is real. But when I try to grasp it, try to control it, I can't. This is what the teacher means when he says that life is heffal. He, like us, experiences life and sees it in a mixture of pleasure and pain, fortune and disaster for the individual and for society. He wrestles with the inner sense of injustice. He sees that bad things happen to good and bad people and good things happen to good and bad people. He can't make sense of life. There's no formula to follow in which each person gets his just reward. The teacher sees that no one can control their life. He and we have the ability to influence and affect changes, but ultimately life is largely out of his and our control. The teacher therefore concludes that life is heffal. Meaningless, vapor, smoke. Here's the turning point. Here's the good stuff. Like a great dessert at the end of a meal, the writer delivers the good news at the end of the book. By this stage, we are desperate for a word of hope. He tells us how to find meaning in life and reminds us this world is not the end. He comes in with the prophetic last words of chapter 12, pointing forward to the person of Jesus who will make perfect the heffal of this world. So chapter 12 and 13 and 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So this is our hope and the answer to, find, to finding meaning in life, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Fearing God, what does this mean? It means to love, to obey, to submit to, to come in reverence to, and to exercise faith in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The knock-on of that being that we live out our identity in Christ, loving others and bringing hope into the heffal of this world. Now, today, 
uh, is not about me developing a, a theological framework for healing or for sovereignty of God or for how prayer gets answered. Um, I'm not, not na- naive enough to think that this word this morning shifts the hurts and the doubts and many other things that are present in the lives of us all as we sit in this room. Perhaps even what I've said today raises more questions for you than it gives answers. The teacher in Ecclesiastes gives his honest assessment of life lived here on earth whilst trying to avoid God's rule as Lord and King over it. And his conclusion is everything is heffal, fleeting and elusive. Perhaps that's where you find yourself this morning. As you reflect on life here in these moments, as I'm talking, you're thinking, actually, the teacher here, he's nailed it. He's got it. My urge to you is to continue to listen and consider an alternative. So we've done a brief overview of Ecclesiastes and thought about some of the key words and phrases and understand its message. Let's consider what we do with what we now know. I find the question of meaning in life does come up in, in day-to-day. Uh, I moved jobs recently in January, uh, and I've really enjoyed working with my new colleagues uh, at the City Hospital. They're a real diverse uh, bunch of people and really good fun, uh, and they do a great job. Um, we'll often have conversation about what's happening in the world, and out of these conversations come some of the same things that the teacher is talking about in Ecclesiastes. Where, where is the justice? Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm finding at the root of even these short conversations over coffee are questions about meaning. Why are we here? And where do we find meaning in life? So Ecclesiastes asks us to consider that we will find meaning in life. And we find that meaning as we zoom out from this Old Testament book and get a, like a Google Earth view uh, uh, and seeing Ecclesiastes as part of the greater God story and that Jesus came into the heffel of life here on earth. It is in living under his lordship, saying, admitting that we don't have control, saying that we don't always find meaning for all the hard stuff that happens, but that we're willing to submit in faith and believe that God is ultimately good. The God story does not promise a life without pain or disaster, but God does promise himself in the person of Jesus and his Holy Spirit to go with us in it. He also gives us church we get to challenge the injustice that we see in our world we get to sit and cry with the broken we get to share food and wine with friends and take simple pleasure from it
Sorry, I'm just realizing that life is hard. I'm realizing that in my own life. And I'm realizing as I look out here, I know some of the stories that are happening and going on for people and I realize that. In light of what we've heard today, I want to I ask us some questions. I want to consider some of these things. The teacher chose a word to describe his life. Meaningless. Vapor. We explored all of that. If you were to choose a word to describe your life, what would it be? Where do you find meaning in your life? In the everyday, but also in the bigger picture of things. Does your view of the meaning of life differ from those around you? As a Christ follower, is your view of life different? And what does your faith in God look like during the difficult seasons in life? So as we finish, we're going to come to the table as we do every week here at Redeemer. In coming forward and taking the bread and the wine, we're proclaiming his life as well as his death. We're also proclaiming his resurrection and the hope of new life that is to come. For it is at the table that we find meaning as we rest in our identity as co-heirs with Christ. As we do this, you'll hear a song playing in the background. It's a, a song entitled Vapor by the, the liturgists. Uh, I've always loved this song, and it's always resonated for me, and I'm now making the connection uh, with Ecclesiastes, uh, which I hadn't done prior to kind of prepping for this. So it's a song based uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes and captures beautifully some of what we have been thinking about today. Uh, they sing of the heffel of life, of the vapor of life, but hold on to the promise of God breaking into that. And a chorus pushes into a worship despite the heffel. I'll just read some of the, the lyrics to you uh, before we listen to it. Oh, the vapor of it all, it's a chasing of the wind, the powers of the earth so pale and thin, but we will set our hearts on you again. Oh, the mystery of it all, I can never peer within. I'll never find the words or understand the fullness of a God become a man. This morning, we have looked at the book of Ecclesiastes and the journey of the teacher's life. We've wrestled and we've also resonated with some of his thoughts that life is hard. It's unfair and beyond our control. We've seen that the writer has a better word for us, that Heffel is not our place, or it's not the path that we walk. 
that meaning and purpose are found in a life of walking with God, putting our hope in him.